It's happy hour again from Central City, New Orleans at the lovely Casa Borrega on Aretha Castle, Haley Boulevard. Hi, I'm Grant Morris. In the next 60 minutes, you'll get to meet just three of the many thousands of fascinating people who live here in New Orleans. And you'll get to hear some live music as well. At the end of the show, you might conclude New Orleans is a great city where people love to talk, have fun and enjoy great music. But you probably know that already. So let's get right on with doing nothing. But enjoying the next 60 minutes of happy hour together. My very eclectic bunch of guests here sitting around the table at Casa Borrega. Douglas Engel worked for 10 years in the music industry as a radio program producer and an independent record company publicist and promoter with the big three influential jazz, blues and hip-hop labels Blind Pig, Delmark and Ichiban Records. When the music business began to implode, Douglas returned to college at the age of 43 and became an aquatic biologist and fish husbandry technician. Douglas moved to New Orleans to work at the Audubon Institute Aquarium from where he was recently fired and now does most of his diving in dumpsters. Stephen Ray is a writer and journalist whose work has taken him to more than 100 countries, all seven continents, and all 50 states of the USA. In New Orleans, Stephen teaches fiction writing at Loyola University. He's the past recipient of a Tennessee Williams New Orleans literary grant and the author of the critically acclaimed post-Katrina book, Finn McCall's Football Club. However, all these achievements pale into insignificance compared to the fact that at 16, Stephen went on the road with Ozzy Osbourne and became Ozzy's assistant road manager. Miss Mack is originally from Poplarville, Mississippi. Miss Mack is a singer-songwriter with a unique voice and a unique take on soul and roots reggae. Miss Mack started out performing on the streets of New Orleans, but has since moved indoors, and you can hear her around town or anywhere by downloading the music she has made with local dancehall artist and producer Coco Dank. And Miss Mack is currently at work on a new project with Strange Root. Let's kick this off with a song from Miss Mack. Yeah, you choose to 
delicate voice last time you were on the show people likened you to Billie Holiday yeah I get that a lot actually. you do I don't mind though she's awesome she was awesome yeah so, do people feel the need to compare you to other people I think uh, most uh, people who listen to music want to always feel that you know familiar with uh, somebody that's that they've never heard before seeing. So yeah, I think people try to want to compare you to somebody just for that reason. But I always think it's in like good heart and they're just trying to give you a compliment, you know? Right, trying to put you into something. Douglas used to do this for a living, right? You used to find talented people. That's actually find. true, yes. Um, I was involved uh, with the music industry as, as you indicated for about 10 years. What sort of accent do you have, by the way? Uh, Connecticut. Connecticut? <laughs> yes. Really? Yes. Right. So no. It sounds like sort of transatlantic, some sort yeah. of. I hear that a lot too. You do? Yes. Well, why do you think that is? I don't know. Maybe I had a stroke or something. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ha- have any like tingling sensation in your left arm or anything? That was a heart attack. Uh, yeah, no. No, I'm quite healthy actually. You I are? just talk funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> do you think it's funny? I don't know if it's funny. It sounds like you have an accent though, doesn't um, it? Yeah, it does. That's what I asked him. It, it definitely like does. I'm yeah. strictly American. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that, that that's exactly true what you say. The first thing that I ask... If, I, if somebody tells me about a new band, the first thing you ask is, who do they sound like? Right. Or a new singer. Who do they, you know, it's just like an easy reference point. You know, it's well, because you want to know if you're going to like them, in that case. Yeah. If they right. sound like someone I don't like, I don't want to go see. <laughs> exactly. Who doesn't like Billie Holiday, for Christ's sake? Yeah. yeah. No, I'll, I'll classic. Take, I would take that as a fantastic compliment. Yeah, you know, I, I do. Else, you know. I would think so, too. Absolutely. Douglas, what do you think of that as an ex-professional music? Uh, extremely man. impressed, actually. Yeah, wonderful. And that's why you noticed I was kind of uh, looking out the window as I was listening to you. I was just letting your voice sort of sink in. And uh, a big smile appeared on my face as I realized, oh, this is beyond just your common um, singer guitarist. So, yes, I ah, like it. Really? Were you thinking about the dolphin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you were not going to shake that. <laughs> it was a night like this. Yeah, yeah. You good. have sex with one little dolphin for the rest of your life. You know, Everyone's going to be yeah, yeah, calling yeah. you the dolphin fucker. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see the way the New Zealand guy picked up on that right away because of the sheep? You see, he's used to that. Well, that's right. I'm used to hearing the sheep fucking jokes constantly. Yes, well, you know, I'm much more substantial than just a dolphin. Just a one, just a one night <laughs> There's dolphin. There's so much more to me. <laughs> Did you ever see the dolphin again after that, or was it just a one night? It was just that one-time yeah. thing. 
Yeah. That's what color are do- dolphins? Are black, right, or gray? They actually different species are different colors. Which color this was, was this a one? Uh, Pacific white side dolphin. White, it's quite beautiful. Oh, so it's, it's white and kind of like a grayish color? black, kind yeah. of a charcoal and white. It was black. Very beautiful animal. So is it true? Once you go black, you never go back. <laughs> I'm not entirely comfortable pursuing this subject, <laughs> oh, but okay, like I would not rule anything there. out. You know. I'm an opportunist. So, um, just uh, well, seeing we're back on dolphin humping again. Who would have thought? Well, uh, yeah, I never thought when I came down here today that we'd be talking about having sex with animals. Believe me, I didn't either. Why did the dolphin? I mean, was it a, is it a, was it a male or a female dolphin? I am going to have to presume that it was a male. So it's the same system in the dolphin world that. You know, they're males, more aggressive than men. Males trying to hunt women. I mean, expertise. Um, I did have a neoprene wetsuit on, so uh, it was safe sex, <laughs> which is very important. Everybody remember, let's not lose track of that. That's right. So. This is not why you got fired from the aquarium, though. No, I was not fired for having sex with any animals or anything like that. No No one filed a complaint against you, the dolphins? No, it was nothing like that. In fact, I was not aware of any complaints against me. um, By dolphins or anything else? uh, No, no, nor nor personnel. In fact, I think some of the animals may be more intelligent than some of the uh, supervisors that I had down there. But um, I think that probably controversial. It goes for almost any business you do. Yes, and I am experienced enough to have uh, noticed that pattern as a matter of fact but these people hired me away from my job in Virginia because they needed someone supposedly with a lot of expertise and experience to kind of help them bring their level of husbandry up to where they claimed they wanted it to be so I showed up and when is this by the way this This after Katrina oh yes yes, this is quite recently I've only been in New Orleans four months Four months. So yes. Oh my God, this is current events. So this was three mm-hmm. months oh, ago. Okay. And uh, I'm oh, an earnest serious. person. I like to help, and mm-hmm. I like to uh, uh, provide my my services, my expertise when when able. So this seemed like a good it opportunity a, it was for a me. Proper job, right? And yes, it was. <laughs> was it just hanging around the well, tank so looking I mean, for dolphins? Is that what you were saying? Thanks, Steve. I just wanted, yeah. Uh, no, this was a job that would have utilized and did utilize my training and, and skill as an mm-hmm. aquarist and a biologist. Okay. And I came in and did my thing, which was improve all the sections that I had contact with. And what apparently happened is that my supervisors were intimidated by this because I had substantially more experience than many of them. Who hired you? Well, I guess the director of husbandry, ultimately. Um, but these so guys, who was supervising you then? Someone who, other than the director? Well, in title, I probably had like four or five supervisors. But in reality, on a day-to-day basis, it was virtually no one. In fact, I would see my supervisor in the morning. I would go off and work my ass off for the entire day. What and you, then can you just tell us what you do exactly when you're working your ass off there? What, well sure. This are you would in involve, the tank all day? No, no. This was not a job where I was in the tank very often, but this would include uh, uh, maintaining the exhibits that were assigned to me, taking care of the animals, that is getting them fed, cleaning up after them, uh, providing any kind of medical treatment that would be required. Okay. Uh, a lot of s- simply observing, which is a very important part of uh, being a scientist in, in this job in particular. I could do that. Um, and, and cleaning is my service area. Is there a job area. available now then? I could watch fish. Apparently there is a job now available. <laughs> and you wouldn't threaten anyone? You'd be, I'm you'd not be threatening ideal. at all. Yeah. Do they let great. you drink on the job and smoke weed? 
As a uh, most actually, New Orleans job. No, no, this was a, uh, a drug testing type of job. There's so a drug test involved. Yes, oh, there well. was a drug test involved. It should have been a, a warning or something. Really? It, yeah, no, I mean, that's probably be... a good thing. You don't want people stoned and dealing with uh, potentially Delphins. dangerous <laughs> animals. Uh, you know, I had a big ah. piranha tank that I was taking care ah. of, I had a 16 foot anaconda. Piranha. That I was taking care of. That's well, not a uh, fish, though, right? That's uh, an anaconda is a, a reptile, it's not a fish. <laughs> right. Um, I but past you. I just <laughs> was, well, the potential hey. to be uh, uh, bitten and squeezed and ultimately consumed. When will um, they squeeze you? When they're hungry? Or? They would squeeze you immediately after biting you, and then they would drag you down into the water and drown you. And not even, maybe not uh, even you eat day? you? Mm, they'd probably eat you. Yeah. Yeah, this was a big, big snake. Wow. It, I think could possibly consume me. Yes, had I so how been do you stoned at work and in? let that happen, have a couple of drinks. I think, <laughs> yeah. before you oh, go no, there. of course you one. you take precautions. You have a certain protocol that you follow, and you're you're very careful. You're very. Uh, Why is there a snake in the aquarium? By the way, that's not just an aquarium, a, right? anacondas are aquatic reptiles. Actually, they spend a good amount of time in the water. So you know, it's not that Did far you know of a stretch. That, you know what? It just reminded me of a back. I came here on my bachelor party. I had a 10-day bachelor party. We started off in Iceland, then we went to New York, and then we came to New Orleans. This is 12 years ago, long before I ever imagined I'd be living here. And so I'd been before, and we went off on one of those um, cruises, you know, the swamp cruise thing? Swamp tour. So the guy who's like this old sort of Cajun guy um, had a little alligator that he brought out, and we were like, wow, it's an alligator, and he'd bring it on the boat, whatever. And... um, so one of the guys, one of my friends, a lot of these guys, you know, hardly travelled at all. You can just imagine what sort of mayhem they got up to. Uh, these guys from Northern Ireland suddenly on a, in in, in uh, New Orleans. But anyway, so this guy says, um, uh, one of my friends said, D- uh, "Has he ever bitten you? You know, has the has the alligator ever bitten you?" And the guy goes, "Once." And we were like, "Oh, really? You know, we 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 thought he was some sort of." Specialist, like I say, you know, oh, what what happened? And he was like, ah, oh, came home, I was drunk, I started poking <laughs> at him. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, who would have thought? Who would have thought? An alligator? That, would yeah, just yeah, yeah, you yeah, poking exactly. at. that was our uh, that was our introduction to life down in uh, southern Louisiana. How many days was your bachelor party? Ten. Ten days. Ten days. We were we were saving for two years. And that, actually, that's what precipitated my uh, marriage proposal. My friends were sort of getting angsty. <laughs> it wasn't, a, you know, it was like, hey, when are we going sort of thing? Oh, okay, we better ask Y'all her. all saved for two we years? Saved, yeah, we saved. We had like a savings account. And, that is um, serious. It this was. was like one of these movies, like The Full Monty or something. It was, that you know, should have been, yeah. Been. Well, we went to Iceland. Um, I'd been to Iceland before. I, t- I went to Iceland. I'd heard, I, I used to own a travel agency. So you're always getting travel magazines and stuff. And so You were going, a travel agent? I was a travel agent. I owned a travel agency. So... We used to get lots of magazines, you know, about the sort of hot places. And Iceland was supposed to be the, like the hot place. It was like the coming place. Not the, you know, the a lot of w- graves. What a lot of graves. Well, there was a lot. Of, there was a, not to use a pun, but it was supposed to be hot. So I managed to convince. The first time I went to Iceland, I managed to convince these four friends of mine, "Let's go to Iceland for New Year's Eve." They're like, "Are you mental?" You know, Iceland's, you know, it's like on the Arctic Circle in December. And you want, I'm, t- I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's going to be fantastic. It's supposed to be the next place. So we all go to Iceland, New Year's Eve. You we must go be a very persuasive person. I, look at me. Okay. It was your best. Yeah, you're like, it's my wedding. <laughs> yeah. So we go New Year's Eve, we go to Iceland. 
and Reykjavik, capital of Iceland, we're wandering the streets. There's nobody there. The whole <laughs> thing is dead. Everything is shut. And my friends are all like, you fucking I all like this. I'm like, oh, no. So then we finally stumble across this little bar. There's like five Americans in it. That's it. There's a, a U.S. Air Force base in Iceland. So there's like five Americans in this bar. That's it. So we have a few drinks. And it's like 12 o'clock. Well, great. Thanks a lot. That was worth you know coming for. And then we started like hearing noise and stuff. And we went out into the streets and beer had only been in Iceland. Iceland had only had alcohol like seven years and it was horrendously expensive. So what the locals do is they stay at home and get drunk and then they go out. You know, uh-huh. where, where it's a, so it turned out to be like the most fantastic New Year's Eve we ever had. It didn't even start yeah. until like, you know, 12.30 or 1 o'clock. How amazing. So that was safe. Is it still like that over there? I no idea. I haven't been. That was 10 years ago, 12 years ago. I Probably hasn't changed Iceland. all that terribly much. How could they only have just got alcohol 12 years ago? I don't know. I don't know. My, <laughs> my, friend, my friend went to Iceland. I remember the first guy I ever knew went to Iceland. It would have been the late 80s because his friend decided he was going to go and live on a farm in Iceland. Um, at university, he studied Icelandic. Everyone else was doing, you know, English, geography, lawyer. He went Icelandic. Icelandic. So he went and lived in a farm in Iceland. Dream. And he went to visit him. I remember him telling He came back and said, it's just crazy. They don't have alcohol. So they don't know. So everyone goes to the pub and they're like, <gasps> and, they're like bah, 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 and then they're all like smashed after like, you know, four minutes kind of thing. They don't know. They have no culture. They don't know how to sort of. They only got alcohol in the country of Iceland 12 or in so In the 80s. Years ago. So like, well, I don't know if they actually only got alcohol. I'm sure there was alcohol before, but the, the sort of culture of going to the pub and drinking. and That's almost that. unbelievable, isn't it? I guess so. Well, how come you've been to all these countries, over 100 countries? Is it because you were a travel agent? Because I, I really want to travel. You ever hear of a movie called Shirley Valentine? No. It was Shirley Douglas. Valentine was a, a, an English movie in the 80s. Yes. You've heard and there was a girl, like a middle-aged English girl and she it was all about her sort of regretting all the things she had never done in her life and it, it really hit with I was like a teenage boy and not right. a middle-aged housewife but it's it really resonated with me I was like I never want to be there I never want to get to that age so I just traveled I spent that was because I, of that movie well I mean, so just I was always traveling no you know, it, it's it, but it was that was one of the things and uh and I just, I owned a travel agency. I used to get cheap travel and I could. <laughs> That's the would, only way right I would now. Just, yeah. yeah, I would just take off. You know, I'd go to, we went to anywhere, everywhere. Now, I went to Beirut whenever the, uh, the Lebanese civil war was still on. There was 13 of us on the plane. They were still kidnapping Westerners. You know what movie they showed? <laughs> the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> I swear to God. What? I counted everyone on the plane. There's like it's like a Boeing seven forty seven. Wow. There's like seventeen of us on this plane, all going to Beirut for the weekend. Well, the funny part about it was, as a travel agent, you could have gone anywhere, right? Yeah, but I why had this the thing. Hell would you you know, want to go? Whether it was growing up in Northern Ireland, I had this thing. I went to Bosnia during the Balkans War. I went to Bogota whenever the Columbia. I, I had this thing to see like dangerous places. And the, the really sad thing is, I would phone up my friends, and everybody else, yeah, I'll come. And I'd be like, oh, okay, well, let's go to you know Beirut. Beirut. So you dragged a, b- a bunch of people with you to all yeah. these places. My wife wouldn't go to some places. There were some places she was like, no, you go have fun, dear. You know, it's <laughs> so what? Vietnam. She wouldn't even go to Vietnam, for instance. Uh, it must be an American thing, I guess. But there's a Vietnam during the. This is after the Vietnam. Vietnam War. Though. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not 86. That. I was going <laughs> to check. <laughs> I look so, old. I look old, but not that old. So you were in Beirut during the. I was the funny. Another funny thing about Beirut. I remember two things about Beirut. Well, I remember a few things, but two things. One is, there was a guy at a bus stop. I swear to God, a guy standing waiting for a bus with an RPG rocket launcher Whoa. over his wow. shoulder. Obviously, like, getting the bus home from work. <laughs> he wow. had a rocket launcher. And the oh. other thing I remember about Beirut is uh, they just had, like, a pizza hut or a pizza, like a you know, pizza express, I don't know, whatever. 
and we went in so the guy was like i'll take you okay okay we go there and i swear to god there was a tank parked in like in like three spaces wow. in the car park wow. it wasn't like you know the guy just driven in but i remember i i, I owned a travel agency so you think i'd be on the ball I'll be get you arrive in the Beirut at like 3 a.m. because of the time difference. They send out the army to the plane. You get in you, and they, they take you into the terminal. And I remember like in the terminal, the guy coming up to me and going, Smith or whatever. And I was like, no. And he goes, well, what's your name? And I was like, Ray. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's Ray. Come with me. And we were like, okay. And I was like, how stupid. You know, this is this is like 3 a.m. We're just getting into this. I haven't even told this guy. My, I've right. given him my name. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you, I've, like I said, I've traveled a lot. I've been in a lot of situations. But driving at 4 a.m. in Beirut during the Lebanese Civil War in the dark when that this checkpoint, that was, that is one moment where my friend and I were both like looking at each other thinking, you know, there's, nobody's going to have any sympathy for us whenever we're <laughs> chained to a radiator for the next <laughs> six years because this was stupid. But, there you go. but it worked out fine. Oh, yeah, Beirut was fantastic. I mean, that was 20-odd years ago, and we had a great time, but, uh, you know... What uh, did you do in Beirut all day during you the You know Civil what? You War, see, same when we went to Libya. Libya was exactly the same. Nobody was going to Libya. Re- we went to Libya, and um, they just have... You know, because no one goes, obviously. Well, no one goes go to because, But because they have War. so... Many fantastic, like Roman ruins, Sidon Tyre in Beirut, um, Belbac, which is the, um, I can't even remember the name of the place that we went to in Libya, but it's the largest preserved Roman city in the world. You know, nobody goes. Nobody, there's, you know, there's yeah. nobody there, so it's, um, you know, travel broadens the mind and flattens the wallet, you know. No dolphins, unfortunately. No dolphins in living. It's probably having to wait behind a tank at the drive-thru window. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Miss Mick, you want to play us another song? Yes, thank you. What are you thinking of playing? What's this one going to be? Um, this one is about uh, music taking away your sorrows and pains. There you go. Nice. And we can come back and then find out actually what happened in the, the aquarium. We certainly. never got to the end of that story. Uh, certainly, of course. Okay. It's a cold, cold day when you're living in pain. There's no gain, no gain when you're living in pain. So say my name, say my name, wanna hear it again. Cause you speak so sweet when you talk to me, yeah, you take away. Take away my ball and chain You fade away, fade away my sorrow and pain things to do like you yeah you take away 
You take away my ball and chain. You fade away. You fade away my sorrow and pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a cold, cold world. It's a cold world. It's a cold, cold world. It's a cold world. Who did you write that song about? Music, music, yeah. Music um, takes away my pain. Music takes away your pain. Takes away, you know, it's worth it all. When at least for me, I'm a music lover. So, yeah, basically, when I wrote that song, it was just about, you know, um, what no matter what, like if you have music, it kind of releases you, makes you feel different things, which is in a way freedom, I guess. <laughs> Do you have to come back to reality after that, though? Actually? Of course, I do. Always, yeah. Those songs definitely take you into, um, you know, that feeling. So. so when you're playing that, you're off somewhere else completely. Yeah, usually when I play, I think about, yeah, uh, you know, certain images. And, uh, what were you thinking about during that one? Um, I was actually thinking about my dad. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, he was a big music lover, so kind of was imagining singing to him for that one oh, that's nice yeah is he still with us or not um uh he doesn't stay in new orleans but he's still around just in texas so he's in texas yeah i don't really get to see him much but uh he has like a whole nother family but um you know Do but you, your parents split up at some point there yeah well when i was really young when i was like five and so um, you have older brothers and sisters yeah i have actually uh Two other sisters and an older brother. I'm the youngest. You're the baby. I'm the baby. And where are they all? They're what? actually all here except for my other sister. She lives in Austin, but uh, we all... Actually, my mom's just moved to Texas, but she was living with my sister over on Piety. And uh, my brother's down the street, and, I'm, uh, and then I'm around the corner. So there's nobody in Poplarville, Mississippi? Uh, not anymore. We lived there for, you know, until uh, I was about 14. And then I came over to Louisiana after that. When did you discover that you had this singing voice? Was it when you were that young? You know, of course, when I was a kid, I always sang. And I did, you know, uh, you know, choir in elementary school. And I did band. But, um, you know, I never thought to pursue it as an actual career or what, try what to make you, a lifestyle. What did you think you were going to do instead? Uh, well, you know, I just thought I'd go to school and uh, <laughs> get a regular, I guess, 9 to 5. I mean, I was always just... You know, I was always encouraged to go to school because my mother worked for Tulane, so I had a really good opportunity at... Um, you can go for free to Tulane. If well, you not for free, too. but I had a, a waiver, so I only had to pay half, but still a really good um, deal when you're talking about Tulane. <laughs> yeah. So did you go? I did go. I went for three years, and then my grandmother um, got sick, and my mother decided to leave, so... Um, I decided to leave because I really wasn't finding anything that I was too sure about. You know, I, I was accumulating a lot of debt. <laughs> mm. 
and um, that can happen. So you did three out of four years. I did three out of four years. The thing years. is, though, you accumulate the debt, then you get a degree and you can pay it off because you have some sort of fancy degree from Tulane. Well, yeah, but the th- yeah, but at that point, I was like, I don't even know if this is what I want to do. I wanted to at that point, I wanted to start trying music. So I thought it would be a good idea to you know start working. Drop um, out, in other words. Yeah, drop out, but, um, you know, I paid off all my debt, so if I wanted... Yeah, I did. I I worked at a strip club for, like, a year, and... You uh, pay off three years' worth of (laughs) Tulane tuition by working at a strip club for a year. And I didn't even have... (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. I didn't even have to take off my clothes. It was amazing. Whose um, clothes did you have to take (laughs) off? The dancers. Um, It was a very amazing blessing, actually, um... I don't think I've ever heard the word strip club and blessing. blessing this I was going, could you speak to my wife? Is what I was going to say. It was. You know what? It, 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 was, um, it, was, like a soci- it was like an experiment. I mean, the, um, it's very interesting. To me, it was very interesting to uh, meet the, the men that came in there. Um, what did you do? I was a waitress. So I facilitated um, dances. So, like, if you wanted to dance, you'd have to come to me and ring up dance dollars. And you would get a certain percentage of that. So if you get you a, if you get five if, yeah. if you got some guy to give you twenty five hundred dollars for oh goodness it was ridiculous five hundred dollars um, I paid off twenty thousand dollars in eight months off of my debt it was it was that's why I say it's a blessing wow. yeah it was ridiculous you got twenty thousand dollars plus the money you spent on food and rent in that time correct so but I didn't go out for like a year dollars. I didn't you know I just I worked every day twelve and you hours you didn't have to do anything except hang well, out and be seductive somehow. yes exactly which what was the <laughs> yes lie to man but you no, 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 come on now there's an honesty in it for one because men coming in there are willing to pay something to get a fantasy or a facilitation right. of something so it's not a lie like you know when we're saying yeah. fantasy or facilitation of something it's sitting in a strip club with some woman half naked in you know your what, face. a lot of men That's came in there right. just to talk would pay you to talk Pay you. <laughs> well, the would pay you, the waitress or the dancer? Right. Yes. I mean, a lot of it wasn't even had to be sexual. It was like, um, let's take example, a guy went to a casino and made $1,000 on a coin machine and he needs to get some venting out and he has nobody to talk to or he feels like that. So, I mean, a lot of it was, anyway. Um, it That's never the best had example you can think of. Someone who's just won at a casino has to go and talk to someone in a strip club? Well, meaning like... Um, <laughs> You know, it wasn't always just sexual or a lie. Right. Like, there was other motivations of why men wanted to come in there. Some men just wanted to come in there just to get the experience. But um, basically what my point was is that's what helped me um, get mm. rid of my debt in a very short amount of time. So um, I could do music and learn about it because I had never um, tried to make a career of it or a lifestyle. Um, so in lieu to that, I was able to pay off school and work as a mu- musician, meaning trying to make a CD, trying to get out there and play um, and not be broke doing it. <laughs> Must have been hard to leave that job, I would think, actually, because you know, of, of it all was, that money. It was. Um, but there comes a point to where it is a certain lifestyle and you're up till 8 a.m. in the morning, four days a week. So if I really was trying to do music, it wasn't. You know, it was a lot harder mm. to um, What are you doing now besides get that going. playing anything? Well, you know, besides playing music, I work a lot as an extra on like, you know, I was doing Treme a lot um, for a little bit of extra, um, right. you know, to balance out the music. 
Um, well, that's cool. But those have been like my two main things is working with uh, the productions, the casting. I mean, there's movies out here in New Orleans every day and, um, you know, it's not really demanding. So you can go in for the day, you can come out depending on, you know, who you're working for. But it's it's not a um, everyday thing. You know, you can go two or three times out the month and it's pretty. Um, so this is something Douglas could do, do you think? Oh, uh, Douglas, I'm open yeah. to just <laughs> yeah. about anything. Yeah, at this yeah. Point. I mean, I was working <laughs> I with 75-year-olds <laughs> we, we the to, other day. We have to rectify this situation because you can't, you've only been here, for, what did you say, four months? Four months, yes. But you must have a terrible taste in your mouth about New Orleans and having come here or well, I'm no not an angry person, but this particular <laughs> experience you, um, did not make me happy. But it well, really is not a reflection on New Orleans, I don't think, beyond just the... Uh, ingrained what I perceive as as corruption at this one uh, institution. Well, I would think that yeah, would be a, a, a very accurate reflection of New Orleans. Yeah, <laughs> that, it's been our number one problem. Right, and I know that. So uh, I, I don't necessarily blame, I certainly don't blame myself. I mean, but you can't just summarily fire someone, even an Aquarist, can you? Well, ev- evidently just you can. Um, there has to be, don't you have to have a cause to fire someone? That just would say be the way it is at a normal type of job. But, you know, they put you on a three-month probationary period, yeah. and that gives them the right basically to do anything they want. Within that you. three months? Yes. So you got fired within the probationary period. They just said it's not going to work at out. At the end of it, yes. Yes. And, and so I can't help but wonder if they just exploited me for some cheap labor and expertise, perhaps, <laughs> or if they just genuinely were uh, intimidated by uh, the things that I was telling them, things that needed to get done uh, amongst uh, a number of uh, fish mortalities and some other things that I perceived as, as being wrong or going wrong. Fish mortality is not good in an aquarium. No. That's correct. Good. <laughs> okay, good. You understand. Unless there's some sort of corruption involved, I suppose, and you have No, it's never good. It's not good. There are no circumstances where fish mortalities are good what at was the causing, aquarium. What was causing all these fish to die? Uh, many of these mortalities were caused by disease. There was just a rampant disease. Flu? Uh, no, a little bit beyond that. Although you could call it fish flu, basically, uh, uh, you, you know, fish are. <laughs> you could, are you, are you applying for it? You're applying for his job, yeah. aren't you? You're gonna go in for this interview and go. Hmm, I think there's a bit There's of fresh two fish great flu. jobs that I didn't know about. Fish, One fish is are a, impacted a, by viruses and bacteria and uh, and uh, protozoans. Uh, how you, like how does the bacteria transmit from one fish to another? Uh, actually, Kissing. by fish making physical contact with each other, um, it also uh, can travel through the water itself. It also right. will be present in fish crap that will, you know, be uh, uh, present in the water. So it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Sure. And so, uh, so you pointed that out to, to them. I would imagine if they had an aquarium, somebody would have known that before you got here. Well, yeah, it's not like these subjects are, are brand new or, or right. unknown to people, but it really came down to people being motivated to do something about it. And I have to be completely honest in, in telling you that okay. there were numerous instances where we would diagnose an animal with uh, a disease and... Fish diseases often act very fast. That is to say, you need to treat that animal quickly if you're going to have any success uh, at uh, uh, curing them. And they would, uh, these fish would languish for days uh, in in often very bad conditions. 
um, until they basically died. And the explanation would be, oh, well, we need to wait for the veterinarian to take a look. And I took this really as as irresponsibility and uh, well, laziness, isn't frankly. Isn't it cruelty? I mean, even if it's just a fish. I think a lot of people could, would characterize it as cruelty, yes. And I... What do you think motivates somebody who's that. given up their life to, or given their life to working in an aquarium and taking care of fish to not give a fuck about the fish? I <laughs> find that a little hard to understand, well, frankly. Well, so I find that hard to yeah, understand. Yeah, uh, again, it... it, it an aquarium is just like any other big organization where you've got a, a management group at the higher level, people that have been there a while, and, and you really just begin to notice that they seem to be just sort of cruising towards retirement, and they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to even engage. They don't want to do anything that's going to cause them any problems, and people right. that do rock the boat, or that is to say people that present issues, uh, are, are going to be perceived as boat rockers, and I have a little bit of a history of that and I don't apologize for it. I think it's so important tr- to be a uh, forthright. No, I'm not a, a troublemaker, uh, but I am you're a forthright person and I am educated and I right. like to call things as I see them. I, I don't ignore the obvious. And um, It's hard to imagine why, I mean, I don't want to go on about this, but it's hard to imagine why anybody in an aquarium would feel threatened by someone else coming along and telling them there's a way to save the fish from dying. You think... Well, this is they would be very happy to. (laughs) Yeah, it it basically involved more work, and and frankly, I don't have the answer to that uh, perplexing problem. What do they do with the dead fish? You let to eat them. The fish would typically go into either a mortality or a a necropsy uh, refrigerator or freezer for further uh, analysis, or more typically, they'd go straight in the trash. Because oh, you can't reuse them if they're sick and have died to feed them. You would you not want to right. reuse them, as yeah. you say. For you couldn't take them down to no. a restaurant to, to the anaconda? No, <laughs> right. no. Exactly. Those like are all resub- bad we ideas. We don't recycle. <laughs> I didn't know that an anaconda lived in the water. Did you know that, Stephen, actually? I did not know that. Not too many Miss anacondas. In the I feel oh, like no. I did know that because, uh, well... Not that anaconda, but um, being in Mississippi, we always had moccasins, and they always were in the water. Mm. And so I figured that little snake could be in the water. There's probably thousands of other snakes that live in the water. Do you know there's no snakes in Ireland? Do you know this? Really? That is... I'm uh, serious. There are no snakes on the island Didn't someone chase the snakes out? St. Patrick. St. Patrick. It's almost St. Patrick's He chased that snake. What? What? No, seriously. The the legend is, and I'm sure it's true, who could doubt this, that St. Patrick... Um, banished all the snakes from Ireland because of the Garden of Eden. But there are seriously no snakes whatsoever on their island. Did you grow up Catholic or Protestant? Protestant. For what it's worth. Which is what? I don't really know the (laughs) difference, but all I know is that they hated each other for (laughs) hundreds of years and and now it's it's all cool. Everybody's good. Ish. (laughs) Better. Certainly better. Is there real hatred between Catholics and Protestants who live in the same city? Um, For real? Yeah. It's, you know... um, my friend who was uh whenever i had the travel agency my friend was a youth worker and he came to the states he brought a group of kids to the states i think it was philadelphia maybe pittsburgh um and they spent you know you know because they'd come from real troubled backgrounds i mean it was pretty grim when i grew up 70s 80s you know we had three thousand people die in a tiny little uh tiny little uh city so anyway so he brought these kids across and the and the the worker that they sort of that, that looked after them in 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 the states said to him I really envy you. And my friend said, well, what, you know, what are you talking about? We, you know, these kids are from like one of the most deprived areas in Western Europe and, you know, on their 3,000 or whatever. He says, yes, but you're fighting over something. And once you get that sorted, it'll go away. 
hmm. uh, as opposed to you know Pittsburgh or Philly or wherever it was where the, the, they're, it's inner city problems that they're having not really fighting over any sort of cause or whatever so it's definitely it's a different world I look I have a little I have a little half brother and a half sister and they're you know 17 and whatever and the world that they are the, the Belfast that they're growing up in now is thank God you know years and years light years away from what I experienced but it, it was certainly you know it was it was rough and um so you knew people who had died and like they'd attack people they would IRA would throw a bomb and a, yeah, the, a the girl that the, my fine, kind of first serious girlfriend the girl that I did it for years um and lived with her father because of his job um he was on a potential terrorist uh, assassination list so every day that we got into her car we had to climb under it and make sure there wasn't a bomb planted beneath it what a way to live and yeah and then, and then the as, the, as the bombs got as the bombs got better and they got better at hiding them they would say to you look uh if you check and you don't think there's one start the engine with the doors open so at least it'll diffuse the uh the blast and you might only lose your legs so this is um so yes but that, that's kind of normal up. yeah this and is the how. first thing you did when you got able to was to get on a plane and go to beirut and then bosnia yeah well i think that was that's probably it's strange you know, you know what they say nurture nature no it certainly was uh it's certainly it's certainly different you know my friend had this theory and it could well be true that because uh, it's sort of it's it sort of um perhaps uh, t- uh, pertains to new orleans as well that um cities or or areas or whatever who had particularly uh, disturbing civil violence or whatever have fantastic nightlife and that was true everywhere that i went like bosnia i remember going out in sarajevo and bosnia and having a fantastic night out and belfast even during the darkest days of the troubles most of them we had fantastic nightlife and i and i think that's probably for that you know if you spend your life sort of looking around the corner and wondering what's happening when it comes to nighttime boom you let yourself go but then again like new orleans yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, i was gonna say yeah Yeah, talking about mm, violence then again you had an awesome night in reykjavik where they probably haven't had any violence or murders that's true well those vikings you know it's two thousand years they have no booze i wonder if booze is the maybe so who would have thought irish and booze (laughs) don't know anything about that so what are we going to do for douglas Find him a dolphin he can settle down with. Yes, we, we've moved past that. <laughs> Thank you. What are, Douglas, what are you going to do? Because if, if you're an aquarist and you're in New Orleans, there's not too many places to work except the place where they already can. Well, that's you. true, but so my experience, thankfully, transfers into um, the biotechnology realm. And in uh-huh. fact, uh, my, my sights are currently set on uh, trying to uh, get involved with a, a zebrafish lab. Uh, zebrafish are a very big, uh, uh, important fish. aquatic animal. They are, in fact, fish. And they've become sort of, um, yes, they, they have become sort of like the new lab rat within uh, uh, biotechnology. They are uh, very important towards uh, the s- study big, of How big uh, are they, genetics. actually? I mean, zebrafish are small. They're an inch, two inches, maybe, max. So, like, we do experiments on rats and mice and stuff. Now we're doing them on zebrafish. Exactly gonna, right, yes. Uh, do you say zebra? Do you say zebra? In New Zealand, they say zebra. They say zebra. Yeah, but okay. I guess I say zebra. The, Canadi- the Canadians say zebra, and the New Zealanders, the Kiwis, and the Aussies all say zebra, right? What do you say? I say zebra. Zebra. But I say zebra, and I come. Yeah, no, that's the thing. Yeah, you don't know you what to say now, don't you? Get Americanized for a while. Yeah. Zebra. <laughs> I was just curious as they said zebra. Zebra sounds so stupid now, doesn't it? It sounds wrong. I don't know. It sounds a little bit prettier than zebra. You know? Does it? <laughs> zebra. Yeah, it's like a little more. Zebra. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I keep sending my I daughter, you know, Z, and she's like, what? Z, oh, Z, Z, I mean Z. Yeah. So remember we used to do these experiments on rats and mice because they have some sort of genetic 
similarity. Well, he was does zebra right. fish have uh, some genetic similarity to? It is very important that there are Stevens, also yeah. vertebrates. Uh, zebra fish, or sorry, zebra fish are uh, vertebrates. They uh, reproduce Brits. very quickly, and they produce a lot of embryos. And then these embryos develop very quickly, and they can be genetically manipulated. So uh, any kind of manipulation that you do. Uh, you'll see the results very quickly, like within a week, whereas a lab rat or something, it takes much, much longer. They're also transparent, so you can visually see what is occurring within their bodies. Um, so that makes them also the si- very desirable. But what is the similarity between human beings and zebrafish? I mean, if we're trying testing uh, actually, a drug Actually, genetically, testing. they're closer than you might imagine. Well, Very close. They are closer than I'm imagining because I wasn't imagining there was any similarity. Yes, well, at all. understand, I'm not a, a genetic researcher myself, but I'm right. someone. So, what that's would you do in the? You keep these fish alive in the lab if you were working. Uh, ultimately, these these zebrafish uh, uh, installations that uh, are in so many uh, labs, research labs now are quite large, and they often hold thousands of fish. So uh, just like any other uh, animal care, it would be necessary to feed them to keep their systems clean and disease-free, to keep the water very clean. Water quality is a huge issue. There is such a thing here in New Orleans where you could go do that. As As a matter of fact, there is, yes, over at uh, Tulane in particular Mm. and uh, perhaps beyond that. Maybe you can get Miss Mick to put in a good word with her mom for you. (laughs) Is she still working there? Um, no, not anymore. Or well, maybe you could get me a good word at the uh, strip club because <laughs> yeah. I'm a versatile person. Get you some know. sponsorship. You could talk guys into that. I could. You, c- you, could f- you could facilitate dances between men and dolphins. Oh. And that would, that would bring That'd everything together. That would bring everything together in one. It's pretty close. Do they have an aquarium there at the strip club? You could call it that. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is what it's you make. I was going to make a joke about smelling <laughs> yeah. like fish. And I'm just ah, saying, thank oh, God you didn't true. say that. That would have been a terrible that note to end on, which is what we have to do now. That would have lowered the tone, sorry. So we have to all meet back here, I think, in a little while and check on Douglas's progress. Thank you. Because we really, I'm really worried about you, Quinn. Uh, no need to worry. I, really? I can take care of myself, yes. Okay. And uh, as I say, I'm quite versatile been around uh, i have my music industry background you know in marketing so and well, you did that so before you yeah did, yeah i was um, a publicist for several record companies and then i became a biologist you know something if you were looking to be a publicist again i bet there's tons of musicians in new orleans who really could do with having their lives organized and getting proper well, undoubtedly sure and uh, what a great place to to be doing something like that that could be my I mean that could be the sort of you know reason you're here uh, that could be you know, uh, a U-turn. In a strange way, yeah. Certainly could not have anticipated that. I mean, if you had to come to New Orleans for something, this is where all the music is, not yes. so much the fish. But uh, <laughs> suffice to say, I'm having a very good time, and I continue my explorations of the city and uh, meeting fantastic people. Yeah, we didn't even get on to who you've been having sex with, unfortunately. Ah, <laughs> uh, we're out of time. Okay. Well, with that, we'll have to meet back here again. Miss Mick, do you have some music that you uh, want to recommend to us to go find online for you somewhere? Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, currently, you can find me, of course, on um, Facebook um, slash Miss Mech. Um I update um, when I'm playing out, and that is in lieu to various projects that I do, that I do which is mainly with Strange Roo, Naughty Palace. Naughty Palace. Naughty Palace, which is a good right. <laughs> Yeah. We are all going to have You to have to have that here. in New Orleans. And um, Coco Dank. Um, okay. So everything is on Facebook, Miss Mech. Okay. Miss Mech is M E C. Yes, thank you. Okay. M E C. Stephen Ray's book is called Finn McCall's. Finn McCall's Football Club. Football Club. Mm-hmm. And what's football, the r- football as in soccer. And what's the rest of the sentence that comes after that? 
the birth, death, and resurrection of a pub soccer team in the city of the dead. And, wow. And it's yeah, got, yeah. It's got great it's reviews, good. and it's very, very well spoken. I am um, very lucky. I got some exceedingly good reviews, so it was very nice. We have a lot to talk about still on our next uh, outing. Then we have to talk about your book. We have to talk about how you actually got to be Ozzy Osbourne's assistant road manager. Ozzy Encounters, yes. There's a lot yeah, of does Sharon manage him, by the way? Yes, Sharon has always... She used to mind... Actually, they met because she, um, her, her, her dad was had the record label. And she managed, I mean, she managed ELO before your time, but bands like ELO and um, and that kind of thing. She still manages them today. That's amazing. So That's Sharon's, beautiful. Oh, yeah. Sharon was, you know, in the 80s. Um, she was like the only woman in rock, never mind the only woman who was actually managing rock bands kind of thing. Mm. You know, so, no, Sharon's great. Very cool. Admirable. Yeah. And that's Happy Hour for today. Our guests here on Happy Hour have been Douglas Engel, Stephen Ray, and Miss Mech, our show was produced by Graham DuPonte, Melinda Hawes, Trish Kaufman, and Anoush Karun. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director, and our web designer and link to the real world is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Mitch Foreman wrote the theme song, and which is currently being played, to Happy Hour. He's also playing it. The fabulous audio quality of the show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and live sound products, including Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Aero Studio monitors, and much more. You can visit PreSonus.com. For more information, if you'd like to be on our show, you can visit our website, itsneworleans.com. Drop us a line. You can check out our other shows while you're there, too. There's plenty more happy hours to listen to, as well as Out to Lunch with Peter Rusciuti, live from Commander's Palace, Mindset with psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic, True to the Game with Chris True and Tammy Nelson, Win Win, our show about the New Orleans Vietnamese community with Steve Win, Chi Win, and Kim Vu, and Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canata. You can keep up with us by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and sign up for our mailing list at our website, itsneworleans.com. If you're listening to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, thank you for subscribing to us. Take a moment to rate and review us. That helps other people find us. Our show is recorded today live at Casa Borrega, which is a brand new bar, restaurant, and music venue in Central City, New Orleans on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard, just half a block up from Cafe Reconcile at Felicity Street. If you've got a moment, go over to Facebook, and while you're checking out Miss Mex photos and gigs like Casa Borrega they'd appreciate that Hugo Montero is opening this club in just a little while we're here before it opens so make sure you come and check it out when it does open Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com everyone sitting around here at the Casa Borrega table and back at our INO offices thank you so much for joining me I'm Grant Morris see you next time on Happy Hour Happy Hour